0: Welcome back to Blind Squirrel Macro, the pod. Um, Squirrel here on the morning of Tuesday the 8th of January back in Melbourne after a long drive south over the weekend. Um, This single take podcast is our usual companion to the weekly newsletter, which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. First up, our usual message from Legal. Everything in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any any investment decisions, for heaven's sake, Don't listen to a cartoon rodent. Talk to a financial advisor. Well, in a piece that we titled this week, Are We Nearly There Yet? Um, I'm going to talk about our road trip and more more to the point, what was going through my mind during that trip. Um, As I mentioned, Team Squirrel got back to Melbourne on Sunday evening um, with a national speed limit down under here of 110 kilometers an hour. Yes, that's under 70 miles an hour. Um, covering the 1500 kilometer journey took two full days of driving, very slowly. The bad news is that I got behind on this week's note. The good news is that I was able to consume over 12 hours of podcasts that I might not normally get around to. And the other good news is that road trip etiquette has changed an awful lot from the 1970s and 1980s when I used to do road trips as a child. The era of individual screens and devices has mercifully consigned the game of I Spy to the history books and ensures that the driver does not have to trade podcast time for an occasional interruption from Taylor Swift or from the Wiggles. However, the are we nearly there there yet refrain from the backseat sadly continues to the 2020s. The Journey North was dominated by a Tour de Force podcast binge of the Outstanding Empire series, this one on the history of the Ottoman Empire from last year. However, the southbound journey was fuelled with a very different form of back-to-school material as the squirrel gathered his thoughts for 2024 markets. As ever, being in listening and watching mode for the first week of the new year feels like a good discipline as the bold themes and predictions from the strategists hit the rocks of chaos of sometimes eccentric New Year fun flows. The start of this year has been no different. Frankly, it's been a good time to be mostly away from the buy and sell buttons. I'm pretty sure that those factor outcomes in equity markets were not on anyone's bingo cards for the first week of 2024. There was a bit of a tilt to the value factor, but pretty much everything else was sold off pretty hard, in sharp contrast to the Santa Claus rally. We wrote last Monday about stock and bond correlations. Back then, I said that if the past two months are anything to go by... Treasuries and stocks, which have been moving up in lockstep, look to me like the same bet. Well, they were certainly the same bet last week, this time moving down together, with pretty much everything else except for the dollar and oil, which I did think until yesterday might be finally paying attention to the Middle East. Anyway, with the energy back and certainly the front of my mind, the narrative of week two of the year looks set to revolve around inflation. Data from Japan, Australia, India, as well as CPI and PPI in the US will give us plenty to chew over this week. I'm probably not alone in finding the combination of soft landing victory dances from Mrs. Yellen and kite flying around the potential tapering of quantitative tightening to be a little bit contradictory. Week one saw about half a one rate cut price back out of the market. Any signs of renewed strength in inflation could see further progress in that direction. Now back to the journey. Out of the many hours of conversations that I listened to over the weekend, there is definitely one moment that is still reverberating around my little brain. Regular listeners will know how much I love listening to Morris Sachs and Liam Allen chatting about markets on the Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut podcast, to which the squirrel I can proudly announce I am a platinum subscriber. And that's invite only, by the way. To say that Morris has forgotten more about treasury markets than this rodent will ever know probably overstates my knowledge and certainly understates his expertise. He freely admits to having a school of Dr. Lacey Hunt bias towards deflation and is therefore more often a buyer than a seller of long-duration fixed-income paper. After his usual eulogy to the two-year note, 4.38% in yield feels okay to me. That sticks in the head. What he had to say about long bond yields had me hit the recap button twice. This is what he said. 4.20 has a mythical number in in, in many cultures. Little pot joke there from MB. But it doesn't have any significance in the long bond area. To me, the yield just feels a little low. Now I may well be reading far too much into this, but to be clear, if you listen to the whole conversation and there's a link to it in the letter as usual, Morris is categorically not talking about the yield being off by hundreds of basis points. However, if the spidey senses the spidey senses are tingling in a bond market old gangster like him, you need to sit up and take notice. So let's take stock. most commonly used benchmarks for inflation have no doubt retreated dramatically from their 2022 highs, even if wage growth would frankly appear to be a little bit stubbornly high. If this soft landing narrative is correct, then there is one, no anticipated downward force on wages, so these these wages are going to stay elevated. And two, energy prices certainly have very little reason to be languishing where they are now. Um, frankly, if you look at the oil price on an inflation-adjusted basis, as I said last week, it's barely above where it was in the mid-1970s. Anyway, the past 10 weeks have seen some extremely volatile movements in financial conditions, but we remain firmly in easy territory. And these conditions will only get easier if the Fed slows down the pace of quantitative tightening, as was suggested by the Dallas Fed president on Saturday. We suggested last week that monetary policy was starting to be inextricably linked with political polling. My friends Le Shrub and Concoda are very clear that Mrs Yellen is the architect. Last year, Jim Leitner famously styled the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen as the games master whose smart investors should walk like a hawk, watch like a hawk rather. The tinfoil calculus goes as follows. It has been decreed, by these mystery forces that the risk asset party is going to be extended even if easy financial conditions risk triggering a resurgence of inflation. They, and I'm using air quotes here, are going to run it hot, air quotes again, and that is before considering any other one-off inflationary inputs. I'm not the only person that noticed what happened to container rates last week. Inflation is the number one enemy of the long-duration bond investor. Absolutely not a rodent's place to put words into the mouth of old chestnut Morris, but this squirrel just wonders whether or not this is the risk that has Morris musing about the long bond yield feeling too low. I already knew that I was not in the market to own long-duration assets of either the fixed income or equity variety. The question remains, faced with a barrage of easy monetary policy, not to mention some treasury market plumbing shenanigans, when will it be safe to short them? I think the short answer is not yet. In the meantime, hard assets, i.e. things that hurt when you drop them on your foot, look better every day. Now I thought I'd wrap up the pod with a couple of final thoughts from this weekend's road trip. Um, The first one revolved around um, a submarine in rural New South Wales about the halfway mark on the Hume Highway between Melbourne and Sydney, you start passing tourist signs advertising an attraction in the form of a, a World War II submarine. It's installed in a place in Holbrook, Holbrook, a rural New South Wales town that is, and I checked, about 430 kilometres away from the nearest port. In the days before smartphones, the truly bizarre tale of how a duck's ass shh, that's a technical submarine term, ended up in the middle of the bush. And it would have probably probably remained a mystery. These days, with smart tones, Mrs. Squirrel was able to find out there's a link to a very interesting background story in the note. Please look it up. Now, the second thought revolves around Cat 797s. And my first boss in banking at Berings, the brilliant DH, um, I don't have his permission to use his real name yet, was a former oil man, ex-British Petroleum BP. He used to joke about barge-mounted docking facilities. We'll call them BMDFs for short. And we used to do a lot of work together in emerging markets where there was always a cement company. Asking cement companies about BMDFs was always seen as a smart inside baseball question to ask. In a joke against himself and other generalist investment bankers, barge mounting became code for that one scintilla of specialist knowledge that might give a prospective client the idea that you had at least some specialist knowledge of their industry. He would often challenge coll- colleagues with the gentle ribbing, I suspect you might be doing a little bit of barge mounting here. Anyway, listening to Brandon Baylow's excellent conversation with Chris Martinson yesterday, or rather on Sunday, I acquired my new BMDF for the mining industry, the Cat 797, also known as those $5 million, 400-ton beasts that haul coal and iron ore away from mine sites. I shall never again use the generic term giant dump truck when discussing the mining industry. Anyway, that's all for this week on the pod. Wishing all my readers and listeners once again a Happy New Year in case you missed me last week. And thank you again for all your support. Please find out more about me um, at blindsquirrelmacro.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Squirrel Macro. Thanks for living, listening. Squirrel out.